Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolph fans, and welcome into the Wednesday, May the 9th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we revisit the Ben Volan report about Stephen Ross's frugality and the concern with the draft. Is Mike Tannenbaum the next one to go from the Miami Dolphins? We'll discuss that. And what are the top five camp battles heading into training camp this coming August? And we'll try out a new segment to close the show. But first, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have a coinciding piece up there right now talking about Mike Tannenbaum's future. We're going to go over all that stuff here on the podcast, but you can read it as well up there. And the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite team. Let's go ahead and kick this podcast off right now. That's another Miami Dolphins. So the piece up on LockedOnDolphins.com says, is Mike Tannenbaum on borrowed time? And that is my title that I chose with my speculation, just kind of connecting the dots for all of the stuff we have heard the last couple of days in regards to Stephen Ross's, I suppose, lack of enthusiasm over the draft that occurred two weeks ago. And just to kind of take you guys back to the start of all this stuff with Mike Tannenbaum, he was hired back in February of 20, 2015, excuse me, and obviously that led to the Ndamukong Sue signing where he pushed for Ndamukong Sue and made that kind of the focal point of the entire offseason and explained to Stephen Ross how it made sense financially and how they could build the team around Sue and how he could come in and make a huge impact on the football team. And since pushing for Ndamukong Sue, the Dolphins went 22-26 and 26 in that stretch. And it's not to blame Sue or his play for the Dolphins losing more games than they won during that stretch. Of course, we had our quarterback missing for 19 of those games, so you can definitely put that into perspective as well. But it just it went around the whole idea of giving a player the largest contract for a non-quarterback and how you just can't pay a defensive tackle quarterback type of money, even though he was a unique free agent, a one-of-a-kind type of guy that doesn't hit the market I mean, no one hits the market that is that big except for the Peyton Manning thing. And even that was a very rare set of circumstances with Andrew Luck becoming the first overall draft pick. And of course, it had to be the next John Elway, so to speak, and then the great next quarterback in line to push Peyton Manning out of Indianapolis. And with Ndamukong Sue in Detroit, the Lions just basically threw their hands up in the air and said, we're not going to pay a defensive tackle the kind of money that he wants. And as we've come to learn from Sue, the paycheck is number one. And good for him. It should be. I mean, that's, that's what a lot of guys play for. And that's definitely your livelihood and your legacy and you know your ability to impact your community and your family and all that stuff and on and on and on. But that was his priority. He wanted to hit the market. He wanted to get paid. Did the same thing this time around after getting released. You know, he toured every team, it seemed like, in the entire NFL, trying to find a new contract and a new home to play football in. But it just didn't work out in Miami for him with the team success aspect of it. The defense in the three years that he was with Miami ranked number 19, number 18, and 29 in scoring defense. There was major holes in the secondary. 
The linebacker core has been a disaster since before he was here, but they weren't able to fix it since he got to Miami with that big contract. But they have had recent drafts that have sort of replenished their core on defense and in offense. And you go back over 2016, Laramie Tunzel, you know, he hasn't been the player we had hoped he would be, but you still can't argue with that draft pick. Xavier Howard starting to work out at cornerback. Kenyon Drake, a big year last year to close out the season. Jakeem Grant came on strong and gave the Dolphins some good games down the stretch in terms of efficiency, making big plays, scoring touchdowns, and all that stuff that goes into what he does as a receiver. Then you go to the 2017 draft, Charles Harris, who I think the world of, I think he's going to have double-digit sacks here very soon, if not this year. Raekwon McMillan, we all write about what the Dolphins think about him in that Secret Life of Scouting piece on Yahoo from Pete Thamel that has been referenced several times in a row here on the podcast. They thought he was going to be just the middle linebacker to change things for this linebacker core with the Dolphins before his injury. You get Cordray Tankersley, who was a very good cornerback, ranked number 17 in Ian Wharton's cornerback handbook that detailed his cumulative wins in terms of winning and coverage, both man or zone, whatever it was. So he ranked very well across the league in that regard. Then you have Devon Godshaw, Vincent Taylor, the the I suppose a starter and a rotational defensive tackle, or maybe even both more than that. Those guys looked very good in their rookie seasons. You go to this year, we all feel very good about Minka Fitzpatrick. We all see the upside with Mike Gusecki. We all see the reasoning behind Jerome Baker. And then Kalen Balage also has that huge, huge upside and potential going forward. So you can see how they've definitely geared towards making this team a draft-centric team. If you can stack up three good drafts in a row, like I feel the Dolphins have, and like a lot of people do feel the Dolphins have, that's when you start stacking up consecutive playoff runs and double-digit win seasons. So they are pivoting from more of this splurging type of make a big splash in the offseason, and they kind of stepped back from that a little bit. And that wasn't always necessarily a Mike Tannenbaum thing, but he definitely spearheaded the Indomitian Sue move. Of course, they had Brandon Albert and Mike Wallace were the big ticket items the previous years. And then after that, they didn't really do a whole lot of that in terms of getting guys that were the overpriced bell of the ball, so to speak, of the free agent market. They've pivoted to this more frugal type of balanced resources, signing more bargain guys in the free agent market, and really honing in on having good drafts. They've definitely done that under Chris Greer and pivoting towards Adam Gase's vision to be a more assignment-oriented football team that plays better together. Like the famous saying goes, it's not the best 53, it's the right 53. So that seems to be the direction they're going, not just plugging and playing big, massive contracts because they had good success with previous teams. Because as we all know, free agency can be the ultimate farce, and guys are often scared to leave in free agency. I've talked to Simon Clancy about this before, one of the hosts of the Three Yards Per Carry podcast, and he said that you know guys are hesitant to leave their teams because there's so much that goes into what makes them successful from the program, from the scheme, to the coaches and how they work together with them and his teammates. There is so much that goes into making an individual successful in this league that leaving that team risks all of that. So getting the big payday is good for them, but you just don't know what you're going to get going forward. So, you know, if this club wins a bunch of games, 10, 11 games this year, will there be changes? Probably not. Steven Ross is loyal to a fault, but you can make an argument both for a successful season and for a disappointing season as to why Mike Tannenbaum should be dismissed. The disappointing season, I think, speaks for itself. Don't have to get into that. But if they're successful, you can say, well, you know, Mike, we went out and replaced several of your guys that you gave big contracts to. Kiko Alonso, he got replaced by Rayquad McMillan slash Jerome Baker in back-to-back drafts. Andre Branch, another big lofty contract for a one year of production, five and a half sacks in 2016 with the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins go out and draft Charles Harris in that same year and then trade for Robert Quinn this year. 
doesn't look good for Andre Branch going forward. And then TJ McDonald gets the big contract after playing in training camp and preseason. And now they go out and draft his replacement in the first round with the 11th pick, the club's most valuable resource. So you can just see where there might be a track to get Mike Tannenbaum off the team, even in a winning season. So we're going to find out going forward how much of Gaze's vision is up to standard or not. They invested in the depth. They stripped down the bad personalities, didn't issue the big contracts and free agency, and went all in on spreading the talent around the roster. And it all falls on Ryan Tannehill, of course. They sacrificed quarterback depth to build the rest of the roster because getting a backup quarterback would have cost them resources that they just simply did not have to make both things happen. You look at the New Orleans Saints, they have obviously one of the best quarterbacks in the league, one of the best quarterbacks of all time and Drew Brees, but their contingency plan to Drew Brees in what is basically an all-in year when you consider the fact that they have Marcus Davenport now in the house after trading two first-round picks to go up and get him. Tom Savage is their backup quarterback, so they're doing the exact same thing as the Dolphins in terms of investing into the starting quarterback, but we have a lot of time to get into all of that and see how it works out, but just Mike Tannenbaum and possibly a philosophical shift going forward for the Miami Dolphins. All right, guys, training camp is fast approaching, just about 10 or 11 weeks away or so from today. We're going to get into the top five training camp battles for the upcoming season here next on Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. And we're going back into it now, talking about the training camp battles we will see in 2018. And training camp can serve as both a very exciting and frustrating time of year for football fans. Obviously, preseason is kind of the ultimate blue balls of football in terms of getting to see kind of what you want, but also not even close to what you want to see. And I saw a piece written by Greg Rosenthal of NFL.com talking about positions of ambiguity, and it brought up the idea to me about position battles. Let's go ahead and rattle through some of the ones that he put on there, and we'll get to my camp battles. He had Ted Larson over Jesse Davis. I think that's completely asinine. Jesse Davis was a very good cog in the line last year. He didn't mention Jakeem Grant at all, and the receiving core had a lot of Danny Amendola in there, as well as Albert Wilson, Devontae Parker, and Kenny Stills. And he had Mika Fitzpatrick as a slot corner and not a safety, which just is a lack of research on his part. But there are a lot of battles, and that's the benefit of how much depth there is with the Dolphins. But these are the top five battles that I'm going to look at heading into the 2018 training camp. We'll start with number five. It is Cordrea Tankersley and Tony Lippett. And I have this one on here as the last one because I don't think it's much of a battle, really. I know the fans feel like Tony Lippett might come back and have a big impact. But for me, he was always pretty tight-hipped, not really explosive in and out of breaks, not really instinctive in terms of playing cornerback. And to be fair, he didn't play cornerback in college. He was a wide receiver, so he had some room to grow there. Whereas Cordrea Tankersley comes from one of the elite programs in the country and played in the playoffs, played the national championship game, had a bunch of success with the Clemson Tigers, and he bit big time as a rookie. I think he is definitely the starting right, or excuse me, starting left cornerback on this team in 2018, but he'll have to fend off Tony Lippett for that to happen first. And the fourth battle going into camp, and this is the running back battle that I'm really looking forward to. One of the ones I'm, I'm most excited about, and I think that he probably will lose it initially, but get it later in the season. But Kalen Balage and Frank Gore battling for the number two job. I think you have Frank Gore in here to teach both these young guys how to be professionals and all the good stuff that we hear in regards to mentorship. But as far as ability goes, Frank Gore is so durable, so reliable. You know exactly what you're going to get with him. I think Gaze will tend to lean more towards that early on as Kalen Balage kind of gets the lay of the land and learns how to be a professional, learns how to be a Miami Dolphin, even though he has all that upside as a pass catcher, a really ready-made Damian Williams type of replacement in terms of his pass work on third down and protection as well as catching the football. Frank Gore, not quite the same in that regard as a pass catcher, can help you in pass protection. As a running back, you know, Frank Gore, like we said, he is what he is. He's going to be three, four yards per carry. 
and a cloud of dust, Kalen Bellage can hit the home run, but he also can miss some holes with poor cutback vision and all the stuff that goes into that. The number three camp battle for training camp in 2018 for the Miami Dolphins is the defensive tackle position. And I don't know how to really assess this in terms of who is on top, who is on bottom, and who's in between, because between Akeem Spence, Jordan Phillips, Devon Gotcha, and Vincent Taylor, I think you have four capable players that are really more rotational pieces, but when you have four of them, you can work them all into the game, especially when you consider the fact that you're going to have defensive ends like William Hayes and Charles Harris kicking inside on any given down, as the Dolphins are one to do throughout the course of the entire season in certain games, certain situations, they will do that. But Akeem Spence was the biggest snap eater last year, so he figures to be the number one going into camp. Jordan Phillips is a <laughs> a boomer bust type of player in terms of making a big play or just kind of taking the playoff altogether. Devon Godshaw was so solid at the point of attack last year, just doesn't really offer you a whole lot of upside in terms of pass rush and game breaking ability. And then Vincent Taylor was a run stuffing cog last year. He is going to be that guy for the Dolphins. I expect all of them to get a lot of reps this year, three, 400 reps, maybe at the lowest for the low end of that guy, 600, 700 reps for the top guy. So these guys are going to have to work it out. I just don't know how it's going to go. I, I got Tank winning the job in that first camp battle. I would say right now, I'm going to go with Akeem Spence as the top snap getter. Jordan Phillips is number two, Devon Godshaw number three, and Vincent Taylor number four. But I am very open to being convinced of otherwise on that battle there. And the number two battle will be Kiko Alonso and Jerome Baker. I, again, just like the Frank Gore and Kalen Balage battle, I think that Alonso wins this one originally, but ideally you get Kiko Alonso off the field in a lot of those nickel packages. He spent way too much time covering tight ends and even receivers in the slot last year, which is just inexcusable. Jerome Baker gives you more speed, more explosion, more a quicker first step, less false steps. Just, to me, a better football player at this point in their respective careers, even though one of them is 21 years old and the other one has been around for a long time. I think that these guys... I, this position could get worked out variously throughout the course of the year in terms of who gets more snaps and who's playing in certain packages. I think both will play immediately, but I think Alonzo wins originally before Baker takes over at some point midseason. And the number one camp battle, and this might not be as much of a battle that I think it is. It sounds kind of like people are really banking on Devontae Parker to be one of the keys of the offense. And that's why I have the wide receiver room as the number one position battle on the offense. To me, you have one for sure guaranteed slot. Kenny Stills is your number one. He's the best receiver on this team. He can play slot. He can play outside. He can hit the big play. He can move the sticks. He's very savvy, very well-respected in the locker room, very, very high-character guy. He's your number one receiver, no doubt. Chemistry there with Ryan Tannehill. And then from two to five, I couldn't separate it to, to save my life. If it was up to me, I would go Albert Wilson as the second option. I think he is going to have just a nice career with the Dolphins. Jakeem Grant would be my number three option just because he has all that explosion and different types of misdirection and different creativity you can do with the offense. Number four would be Devontae Parker. You guys know I just don't think very highly of him. Has missed time each of the three years in the pros with injuries, different injuries at that. And then Danny Amendola, the one signing that I just haven't signed off on this offseason. You guys know I've been pretty upbeat and optimistic about this offseason, but just I don't really quite get the Danny Amendola signing. Was talking with my buddy Kevin Dern at KevinMD4 on Twitter. You guys are familiar with him. And we were saying you basically could have sacrificed Danny Amendola and went and got a backup quarterback in the free agent market that would be better than David Fells, Brock Osweiler, and Bryce Petty. So neither here nor there. I think that the team will probably have it shake out with Kenny Stills, Devontae Parker, Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant, and Danny Amendola is kind of a, in a pinch type of guy. I told you what I would do, but we'll see what happens with Amendola. He's really the wild card there. We'll see how much run he gets. So you have Tankersley and Tony Lippett, Kalen Bellage and Frank Gore, the defensive tackle room, 
Kiko versus Jerome Baker and the wide receiver room are my top five position battles. I will write that up and give you guys a bunch of gifs and video clips and stats and all the stuff that I do on LockedOnDolphins.com at some point this summer. Just wanted to talk about it first in the podcast here. We've got a new segment coming up on the other side of the podcast I want to try out. So we'll do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. As I lie awake last night staring at the ceiling, not being able to fall asleep, I was thinking about new podcast segments, things I can do to spice up the podcast a little bit. And since we're entering the summer months here where football is going to kind of take a back seat to some other things, whether it's baseball, the World Cup, the NBA Finals, all that good stuff, I wanted to try a new segment where I just talk for a minute about other sports. So we're going to go ahead and do that right now. We like sports and we don't care who knows. From shooting hoops to the Super Bowl. We like sports and we don't care who knows. Yeah, I definitely love sports myself. The Lonely Island Boys helping us out there with that part there. But just getting into some of the other sports teams that I follow, I know you guys probably don't care too much about these guys, but uh, just to give you guys an idea of where my sports fandom lies outside of the Miami Dolphins, as you guys well know, I am a Northwest boy, born and bred, Seattle area from pretty much birth until now. I've lived all across Washington State, but I am a Northwest guy, so I am a big Seattle Mariners fan. I became a Dolphins fan because of Dan Marino in the 90s and because of King Griffey Jr. in the 90s for the Seattle Mariners. Very impressionable, very bandwagon. Didn't work out for me as both teams have been in the playoffs a total of two times in the last two decades and have zero playoff wins amongst them (laughs) over about an 18-year span for myself. But the Seattle Mariners right now off to a very good start this season. The offense is really clicking. The back end of the bullpens really lights out. I had a fantastic moment on Twitter the other night where I claimed they had the best lineup in baseball and the best reliever and the best eighth inning man. They proceeded to get the eighth inning man blown up with a home run. Edwin Diaz, the closer who hadn't allowed a extra base hit all season, allows a home run to blow the lead. And the offense leaves five runners on base in those final two innings. So I really looked like an idiot for that one, but they are 19 and 14. As I record this podcast, they're about to open a series at the Toronto Blue Jays and the schedule gets easier. They have a full set of health finally as we head into May. And I'm really excited about this season. I think this could be the year they finally end the playoff drought. My other favorite sport is soccer. I am I don't really have an American team. I, I think the American soccer, or the, the MLS, is basically like a minor league system to other leagues. It's just not that high quality. We can't even beat the Mexican league teams. So I prefer to watch the better talent, which is in Europe, obviously, and the English Premier League is on TV. So I got into that about five or six years ago, and Liverpool was my jam with Luis Suarez, Daniel Sturridge, Raheem Sterling, and all those boys. And now they are heading into the liver to the. Champions League final against the Real Madrid to face Cristiano Ronaldo, who basically was the guy that I learned soccer from in the beginning. It was obviously him and Messi, but I cannot wait for that game on May 26th. Should be a very good match there. And then let's talk some basketball for a second here. I don't watch basketball. The Seattle Supersonics were taken from me, and I pretty much vowed to never watch the NBA again, although I do get kind of sucked in back towards the end of the finals and the playoffs at the end of the season. I do like LeBron James. I always love Dwayne Wade, so you guys have me there as Miami Heat fans, but just looking at LeBron, the, what he's done this off, this uh, postseason, I should say, with the buzzer beaters, it, I just I love seeing these arguments on Twitter because I'm not really educated enough to get into them. I just know what I remember seeing from Michael Jordan as a kid and what I see from LeBron James now. So LeBron James is my goat, and he always will be. So that's the We Love Sports segment. I, if you guys like it, let me know. If you don't, let me know too on Twitter. You can do that at Wingfield NFL. Tell me if you want to hear me talk about other sports more going forward. If not, we can just bag the segment. But we'll talk about other things too 
two other than my favorite teams. Just some other things going on around the sports world as we get through the summer. And one last note before we finish the podcast up here, I just quote unquote broke ground on another charting project and all the analytics, all the long form pieces, the dives into people's personal stories. I think charting is my favorite of all the things I love to do when it comes to writing and podcasting football. And it's this one is on a subject very near and dear to my heart. I'm not going to announce what it is just yet because I don't really have a whole lot of work done on it yet. It's in its infancy stage right now. I don't have any tangible content to give you guys. So I will announce it when I have some more work into it. And it's probably going to take me about three or four weeks to get everything done. So I will go ahead and announce that when I have more to give you guys. That's going to do it for tonight's podcast, guys. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Follow the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at LethalNFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And follow our flagship show at Locked On NFL, both on Twitter and Facebook. Check out LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a terrific rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow with another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.